Welcome back. I'm Peter Wood, and I'm the author of Mud Between Your Toes, A Rhodesian Farm, which is a memoir about my life growing up in Zimbabwe, or formerly Rhodesia, in the 1960s and 70s. This is a podcast about family, independence, loss, and above all, identity. Well, hello, I'm sitting on the banks of the Lower Zambezi in the Marnapools National Park. The river is literally yards from me with our resident 18 or I think 19 crocs sunbathing on the sandbanks a few feet away. It's stunning here. These camps are quite isolated and you can't help feeling that you're the only people along this magnificent stretch of paradise. The recent drought has attracted game of all sizes to the river to feed and drink, and I felt it only fitting to introduce a fascinating relative of mine to conversations with Pete Wood, my nephew, Luke Gilmore. Hello, Luke. Hi, Pete. How are you doing? Now, Luke, you've led an extremely colourful life, to say it, and, you know, just to say it lightly. Um, and I really want to start off with um, the anti-poaching that you did in uh, a few years back. Can That's you right. just tell me a little bit what got you into it? Sure, Pete. Um, so, basically, um, soon after I left school, um, I d- decided that, well, not, not I, but... Certainly the rest of the world had decided that poaching was a serious issue. And I d- 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 decided that that's something that I would like to go into. So, um, Yeah, so, I mean, back then, I mean, the state of poaching was absolutely rife around yeah, this part of the world, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. And it had actually gone quiet for a little while. Well, when I, I'm, I'm talking about, like, the elephant and rhino poaching it had gone quiet for a while it had been very bad in in the 70s and 80s then it sort of dwindled off in the 2000s and then picked up again um at about the time when i was 18 19 and, but i mean around about that time you decided to do it it just seemed that poaching became an incredibly dangerous uh, business yeah, yeah, you know yeah. they started using ak-47s and everything i mean and i remember poaching rifles. in my days you know someone with a bow and arrow yeah, I know, that, 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 that all changed. Well, as soon as the anti-poaching f- forces started picking up um, fully automatic weapons, so, so did the poachers to protect themselves. So the situation escalated. And you, you were doing it not just in Zimbabwe, weren't no, you? No, I, uh... I was doing it in Mozambique, I was doing it in Kenya. And God, I mean, did you have any sort of hairy uh, stories? Absolutely. I mean, did you actually have to shoot any poachers? Well, <laughs> should I, that's, should for, I... that's for me to know and for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the state of uh, the poaching right now in this country? In Zimbabwe, the poaching is high. It's, it's especially for, ele- for elephant and stuff. Um, but what it's actually doing, poaching, I mean, we, we still have a huge overpopulation of, of elephant. So poaching isn't affecting the, the elephant numbers as such, but what it's affecting is the trophy size of, um, of the, the elephant, the, the size of their ivory. Can you explain yeah. that a bit more? Right, so basically, um, you know, the value of an elephant, what, what brings money into Zimbabwe for for game is hunting okay and people don't want to pay lots of money to come and hunt us an elephant with small ivory so um 
then hunters stop coming here. Then there's no more money for the anti-poaching, um, to pay the anti-poaching people. So you're a firm believer that uh, the, uh, the the hunting associations absolutely, are vital absolutely. for the anti-poaching. Without hunting, there is no, no future. And but the, I'm not going to go in, into that right now. Okay. Um, but, I mean, the Chinese have got stuck into the whole thing here as well, yeah. haven't they? Isn't there some woman who yes. is, seems to be doing the rounds I've seen? There's a woman by the name of Li Sung who's, well, I mean, she's got a, she's a Chinese uh, expat as such, but she has a Zimbabwean, uh, um, uh, wow. a, a Zimbabwean ID, ID card. card. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how she managed to wangle that, but she's been involved in... So, so that sounds like she's also, I mean, people high up in the government are probably uh, involved well, as well. I know, 100%, yeah, it's, uh, that's exactly it. And, yeah, so what it's doing is now, the, the, you know, back in the days, you used to get elephant bulls here with 120-pound tusks plus. You know, now you'll be lucky to find an elephant with six, 60 pounds a side. But uh, you, you know? mentioned uh, uh, earlier before we started this recording about uh, the tuskless elephants. What's that got to do with...? Right, OK, basically... Um, Tuskless elephants, it's it's a gene, okay? And it's, yeah, those, they're usually more aggressive because they feel, you know, that that they don't have their tools that they use that other elephants would n normally use to pull off bark from trees and stuff, and they get a bit agitated and a bit short-tempered, and those are the ones can... But is it true that in some places, like in Kenya, you know, they... They, there are more tuskless now because they, or do you think that's ridiculous because, you know, genetics can't work that quickly? Yes, genetics cannot work that qu quickly. The reason there are more tuskless in places like Kenya now is because the, the, the tusked genes have been shot out a lot. So those females that have that tuskless gene are the ones that left alive continuing to breed. So that, that gene is carried on through. Whereas in Z Zimbabwe, um, it's, uh, the national parks promote the, the, uh, the, the hunting while the, yeah, the hunting mm. of the tuskless uh, gene, just so we can eliminate that from from the gene pool. What? You you can pay uh, for a like a nominal trophy fee, a much less trophy fee to shoot a tuskless cow than you would to shoot um, an, uh, a bull. But from a poaching point of view, there's no point in going after tuskless. Exactly. Anyway. So that leaves the tuskless ones are, are safe. Yeah. You know, and so those are the ones that are allowed, th that, uh, that are never harmed by hu humans. Yeah. Uh, so they're allowed to carry their gene through when they have, have off offspring. I think there must be so many people who want to, you know, go out there and, you know, do anti-poaching, but it's not an easy job, is no, it? No, it's not. And you know what? There's a, there's a big romance about it, and because it is a paramilitary job, so there's a lo lot of ex-military guys that want to come out and do it, but... Yes, uh, the the way of doing it is is done in a military style, but you need to know, first and foremost you need to know about the the animal. You can't protect something you know nothing about. Yeah. I mean, we we've had offers from 
bloody um, ex-US Navy SEALs that want to come out. Yeah, that's, that's fine, but it's not, it's not like that. You've got to, they know nothing about elephant, and you're never going to be able to protect some, yeah, something. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you need a sound understanding of the animal, where they're going to go, so you can follow them and look after them. And you need a sound understanding of the people that are poaching them too. So, you had a, you told me a, quite an interesting story about something that happened to you in Gokwe. Are you prepared to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's one thing aside. I mean, that's not a that wasn't poaching. That wasn't to do with poaching. It's not anti-do poaching. That was just an armed armed r r robbery. But yeah, basically, I was at a cattle sale in the middle of the of the Kumusha of the the tribal trust lands, and I just bought. I don't know, I think it was 17 cattle, and I was just about to pay all the farmers out of my land cruiser. I had $20,000 cash on me, and as I, as I was getting the money out, some mad guy came wheeling a, a 9 millimeter pistol, uh, <laughs> letting off rounds everywhere, telling us to hit the dust, um, which, of course, I did, because I was unarmed. I didn't want this crazy guy putting a, you know, p putting a nice clean hole through my head. And so I got down, he took the money, and he ran. And then I, I for some reason, I just got, got the hell in. And I said, no, I'm, I'm chasing him. So I got in my Land Cruiser, which I then automatically turned into a, to a battle offensive tank. <laughs> oh, and, God. And I just, don't know whether we should sort of mention the rest. <laughs> and, and, and you won. Yes, and I just <laughs> sort of chased after him. He, he was shooting at my car, but I managed to catch up to him, park on top of him, and get, get my money back. I, I want to... Um, I want to take you back a little bit further even. You were in the French Foreign Legion. Um, That's great. Yeah, how long, ago, how long ago was that and how long did you stay in the Legion for? That was, how long ago? I don't even know how long ago. How I can't even remember off, off the top but, of my But, I mean, head. you know, that, oh, there no, again, I, that wasn't an easy no, ride as no, well, it was, was it? I left, well, must have been three or four years ago, maybe a bit, bit, bit more. I can't actually re there remember. There were some fairly crazy people that you, uh, you had to no, abs abs train absolutely. with. Well, just all walks of life. People. I mean, it really is what people think it is, you know. There are and more who in have some murdered sense. their wives. And, and more in some... Look, it's not so much that anymore, but there are a few of those stories swept under the rug but it's just you know what it it's just meeting the real i mean I, I went there thinking i had problems you want to hear people who have had got problems in their life you go you know you Incredible. listen you listen to their stories you you you're going to take all your prob problems how back. do you even get in i mean you know it, just, it can't be an easy no, it's not. thing to get into no it's not i mean they have you see the foreign legion have the greatest selection of humans than any other military in the world to join the u.s military you have to be a u.s citizen so th that that's the pool that they take take from to join the brits you have to be british or from the commonwealth you know so th th that's their the, the pool la légion étranger they can choose from any nationality from any human being anywhere on the planet yeah. so they have they have that they have the they, they have that gift of choice, you know. So, you know, half a million people a year apply. You know, it's a lot. And how, do they, how many do they take in? Uh, between between four, and, four and five hundred a year. Wow, okay. So the, the, the screening process is quite... Look, most of them get knocked out in the medical stages and the 
secret techniques, stages. Um, but the screening process is, is quite strict. I mean, you can't have missing teeth and even, you know, stuff... Uh, you know, but like again, that. it's another yeah. of those things that sounds incredibly glamorous, but not exactly. easy. You see, the movie. At least you learned French and you learned how yeah. to ski. And you learn, you learn <laughs> French fast, you, even if you can't speak a word. I mean, when I first went in, I think I knew half of one French word. That's about it. And don't even swear in your own language. Don't even dream in your own own language if you ever get the chance to sleep, um, because it will be knocked out of you, and French will be beaten in into you. And, and um, I mean, you know, quite an incredible thing to do, actually. You know, you're the only person I know who's ever joined the French Foreign, foreign Legion. Yeah, but, from my neck of the woods, there's very few yeah. people. But you go to areas like, you know, Madagascar, there's quite a few. Oh, really? Yeah. There's but, quite of course, a, they speak French Ma as well. Malagashis, yeah. yeah. And it all depends on the the political situation of the world at the time, which more nationalities join. Like, just after the Second World War, there were lots of Germans, obviously ex-Nazis, yeah. trying to join. Mm. You know, now it's more... There's a, quite a lot of Brazilians, South Americans, and there's quite a lot of uh, yeah, Ukrainians, Russians, people from the Eastern Blocs, you know, um, Slavs. Um, Brilliant. And, and, and listen, so Luke, um, let's go bring come right forward to the present day. So your next venture is another crazy thing. What are you about to do now? Well, I've, I've just finished courses in Kosovo doing EOD, level one, two, three, and... And for, and, the, for the listener, an EOD is... EOD is Explosive Ordnance D Disposal. So it's lifting landmines um, or... Uh, what's called UXOs, unexploded remnants of of, of war, so like RPG rockets, yeah. um, m m missiles, bombs that haven't exploded in war zones, and um, IEDs. Um, I, an IED right. being a... An, IE, an IED, everyone should know what an IED is. <laughs> from, the, from the Hurt Locker. Yes, exactly. An IED is an improvised explosive device. It's been very popular and very successfully used by terrorist groups in in the Middle East, and they come in all shapes and forms. They're very d difficult to find, and yeah, basically that that's m my job is to search for them to protect convoys, to protect VIPs. I mean, IEDs can be set up anywhere, not not only in war zones, places like um, the. Uh, Sydney Opera House for, yeah. for conventions, the NEC in Bir 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 Birmingham for yeah, for absolutely, events. and and so you've completed the course now, and you're uh, about them, yeah, to. Yeah. So where is your prefer uh, your preferred country that you want to go and do well, this, I don't, this crazy job? I don't have a preferred country. The the one I go to is the one that pays the most. Okay, so <laughs> it all depends on which. And the IEDs pay the most out of exactly yeah, out of all of the demining. It's more. Thing. I mean, yeah, the whole demining and the, the removal of conventional remnants of of war is a pre requisite to going on to do IED disposal. Yeah. You know, so that, that's always going to pay less. But, I mean, they have IED um, requirements, uh, well, IED removal requirements in places like Mali at the m moment, obviously Syria, Iraq. Um, and but, yeah, I mean, I've just been working in S S Sudan, 
yeah, during the Of course, you, you were in the South Sudan. Yes, well, I was on a, in a place called Abia, which is uh, it's an area between the north and the south. It doesn't actually belong to any of them. The north claim it's theirs and the south claim it's theirs, so it's, it's just like a block which is only g governed by Yunisfa. Um, and that was a hor horrific sort of assignment, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and it's I mean, you said it was just so hot. Yeah, it's extremely hot. Um, it's, and that the, the wax in your ears oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, one day I felt my ears t tickling and I didn't know what was going on. I was actually earwax dripping <laughs> down my ears. <laughs> um, Listen, I mean, Luke, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to say I hope we can do another interview, you know, so you've got to keep yourself alive for all of this, you know, because you do some crazy things. But let's just talk about the present right now. Look around us right now. We've got a herd of impala. The sun is setting behind our backs. We've got a whole troop of very cheeky vervet monkeys making nonsense. We've had an elephant walk right the way through the camp this morning. Plus, um, well, what what is the female e elephant? What do you call her now? I, uh, I, I, um, She's been given a name. Beatrice. Beatrice, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> and a whole bunch of crocs and yeah. hippos behind us. In fact, last night was one of the noisiest nights I've ever had with all the hippos. And, it was indeed. I yes. mean, wow. Anyway, so, I mean, you know, thanks so much for talking to me. I think, you know, this no, is just thank, so interesting. You, and I, I, want, I want you to come back and tell me more about all this, these IEDs at a later stage. That's a, yeah, what a pleasure. That, 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 that'll, be, that'll be fantastic. Thank you very much, Peter. Cheers, Luke. Okay. Thanks so much all for joining us. Eh? Take care. That was my nephew, Luke Gilmore, talking about his rather interesting life that he's had so far. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to me. And remember, you can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for Mud Between Your Toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye.